and welcome to Labors in the Harvest with Kevin Folger. This podcast is a weekly conversation about the gospel and the work that God is doing through those who labor for him. Kevin Folger, your host, is a man with over four decades of ministry experience. For 41 years, he served on the pastoral staff of Cleveland Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio. He currently serves as a North America Director of Spiritual Leadership Asia, a ministry that assists those endeavoring to preach the gospel and plant Baptist churches in the 1040 window with a particular focus on Asia. Now here's Kevin with this week's Labors in the Harvest podcast. Labors in the Harvest podcast. This is your host, Kevin Folger, and I want to let you know that you're in for a real treat over the next three weeks as we have a conversation with Dr. Carl Boonstra, a man who's 96 years of age and who has served the Lord uh, for 75 years. And God has given him a remarkable mind and an ability to communicate, and I think it's uh, going to be a real treat uh, for you to listen into the conversation that he and I had uh, over several, uh, three segments, and I think um, each one will be a special a blessing. When I was in Bible college back in the 1970s, Dr. Boonstra served as the mission director for the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, and of course was uh, very visible on the campus there at Baptist Bible College, and of course played a great role in the realm of world missions, and introducing the concept of faith promise giving to independent Baptist many, many years ago. Get yourself comfortable, sit back and relax, and listen to my conversation with Dr. Carl Boonstra. Hello, this is Kevin Folger with Labors in the Harvest podcast. We want to thank you for joining us today, and we're excited about the opportunity that we have to have with us for the next couple of weeks, Dr. Carl Boonstra. And I believe Dr. Boonstra will hold the record of the oldest uh, labor in the harvest that we have uh, had the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with. Dr. Booster, thank you so much for joining us today in Labor's the Harvest podcast, and uh, we want to thank you for uh, taking the time to uh, sit down and have a conversation with us. Thank you, Brother Folger. It is my privilege, and uh, my pastor, Brother Abels, has mentioned to me that he had mentioned you about doing something of this nature, and so thank you for inviting me. Well, it's 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 a joy to have you. That's for sure. So we're gonna we're gonna just uh, start with uh, where you are right now, and. Um, I want you to share with our folks, uh, uh, you know, where you're living and uh, what you're doing as far as ministry is concerned. And, and you know, if you be so kind as to share uh, how old you are. Okay, I'm 95, but I will be 96 next month if I keep breathing. Wow. <laughs> I'm one month away from 96. All right. And you're living in Springfield, Missouri, is that correct? Yes, sir. And you're still busy in ministry, still preaching. Yeah, when I get invited, I am. And and by God's grace and health permitting, I've been very privileged, very well, privileged. That, that's a wonderful thing to be able to have the opportunity to have someone of your stature to be able to come and preach and share specifically about uh, missions and, and all that God is, has done in and through your life. So let's back up a little bit. We're going to go to the kind of the beginning of your life. And so can you share with our, our listeners where you're born and where you were raised? Yes, sir. I was born in Iowa, north central Iowa on a farm and uh, uh, living on the farm, I went to a little country school, which was interesting in later time because 
we went to that little country school. It was eight grades, and uh, and and when we had the seventh grade, and which was also my last year in Iowa before we came to Colorado, I was the only seventh grader in the class. There was there was about a dozen students, but only one seventh grader. And the rest of them were from sixth grade on down to first grade. So that was kind of a bit interesting. But anyway, born raised on a farm, no electricity, no. No facilities at all, no refrigeration, of course, and uh, no modern plumbing, uh, just like everybody else in those days. You know, that's sure. that's what you had. So, very, very. Uh, today's friends were very primitive. We didn't realize it then. We were just, we were just people lived on the farm. Right. So. Well, that's uh, that's uh, again living through all those type of things and seeing uh, all these changes that have been made uh, in our country as far as uh, just what the standard of living is, it's just been pretty amazing, hasn't it been? Oh, my soul, there's just no comparison to no, because we, we even went to a town in a, a buggy or a wagon. However, my father did get a car later, but yes. So we were, I was there in Iowa when my father's health broke down, and that was the reason we moved to Colorado. And again, it had to be by God's grace that all had come to pass. But we came to Colorado, and uh, my father was sick. In fact, we came to Colorado, my father riding in a hearse. Really? And uh, because they didn't think he was going to live. Hmm. And my mother, my sister, and I sat in a hearse with, with, uh, uh, with, with my father on the garden. <laughs> hmm. So it was an interesting trip, to say the least. Yeah, so I had an uncle and another man that lived not too far from us there in Iowa. And uh, my uncle drove the hearse, and and uh, and the neighbor, his neighbor, uh, both of them, a couple of Dutchmen. One's name was Schmitstra, and the other name was Falkins. But anyway, they drove us to Colorado, brought us to Denver, brought down on Santa Fe Drive, which which was just a main U.S. highway, no interstates, of course, and put us in a little cottage camp down on Santa Fe Drive, and uh, called the Ritz. Well, we got there and they they drove the hearse back home and and we uh, we were uh, we were there at that cabin. All right. But anyway, uh, I had to go to school. Supposed to go to school, and so uh, I had to walk to the school. Found out where I had to go to grad junior high. Now there's no way to there's no way to explain this, brother Folger. But I walked to that school, which was probably a mile or over a mile from that cabin on Santa Fe Drive, way up on Grant Street. And uh, so I got there, and here's a three-story building, and uh, people all over the place. And I had no idea where to go. But I went in. Somehow, I just vaguely remember went in. Someone had told me where the office was. I went there, said, I want to come to school. And they gave me a list of the classes I'm supposed to go to. And so... And then I couldn't find the classrooms because there's every every class, every subject was a different classroom. But anyway, it was quite an experience to go from a school where I was the only student <laughs> with 10 students total and come to one junior high school that had a thousand students, three yeah, grades. What a change. <laughs> oh, it, 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 there's no way to explain it. Yeah. Uh, and nobody to show me, nobody to help me because my mother couldn't go out and drive and my dad was in the bed. And so anyhow. But then we got out a little after that, uh, some way by the Dutch church people, the Reformed Church, which was what most Dutch people were. Uh, there was a family way out west Denver, way out west, actually in the country. 
on Jewel Street. And they, uh, they gave my parents a room, it was an upstairs room, uh, to live out there. So then I went to a different school, and that was a whole lot better. It was a, it was a consolidated school, which means several little country schools put into one. And there were 12 grades and about 250 students. So that was much better. Sure. And, but then, uh, anyway, that's, that's my background getting to Denver. I'll tell you about my conversion when you're ready for the question. Anyway. Sure. So um, did you finish your high school education there in Denver? Well, uh, I hate to admit it, I, I, I dropped out of school. Well, a lot of people did, did back my, in those did days my, because they had to go to work, my, right? I did get my education later when I came right. home from the service. Right. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, let's was, talk a little bit about that. You did serve in World War II. Uh, is that correct? Yes. Okay. Can yes. you talk to us a little bit about that? We sure appreciate your service. That generation is pretty much gone. And so to yeah. hear, uh, hear you talk a little bit about your service to our country. I can um, do that. But then that, that, that comes between the age of 13 when we came to Denver uh, then World War started '41, as you know, mm-hmm. but uh, they were drafting everybody, and so when I had my 18th birthday, 1943, uh, you were drafted. You know, if you were could breathe, you you were gone. Mm-hmm. And so I was drafted and and uh, sent to Colorado Springs, where they organized a medical unit called a evac hospital, 109th evacuation hospital, and so we uh, we were a unit. Uh, and then when we were all together, about 350 of us, that was doctors, nurses, and all the enlisted men, about 250 of us enlisted men, which included motor pool, kitchen, everything else, administration, as well as, as, well as uh, aides in the, the hospital part. Mm-hmm. It was all tents. The whole thing was a tent operation. We, uh, so I uh, got a training in Colorado Springs and then had maneuvers in Tennessee, in tents, and then we went to Camp Jersey, or New, New Jersey, Camp Kilmer. And then we got it on a ship and went across the ocean, went across the Atlantic Ocean, landed in Scotland. And uh, we had, a, it was a, the British largest, third largest ship, the Equitania. And it was, uh, it was faster than most of the other Liberty ships that were carrying troops over. But so we went without escort but even then, the German U-boats were out there. And, but we got by and we got landed safely in Scotland, put on a train and went down somewhere in the Midlands of Scotland, of, of England. Mm-hmm. And be sure there were so many GIs coming in, uh, just t- thousands of them, you know, thousands of them building up for getting ready for D-Day. Okay. So they, uh, there weren't any places for us to go. So they put us up in homes. People opened up their homes. And another one of our guys in our unit, uh, we were assigned to a home and there was a man and his daughter uh, living downstairs, the second floor was a bedroom. Then they had a ladder that landed up into an attic. And in the attic, uh, that's where my buddy and I slept up there. And uh, so we were there for about three weeks. Of course, we, we, had to, we had to get out every morning and go down to a park where we met, assembled together just to be sure that everybody was still there. <laughs> and then we went down to the coast, down, uh, down on uh, Burma, south, south uh, east, southeast of London, set up a hospital and we're ready for D-Day. Mm-hmm. D-Day, as you know, was on June the 6th, 1944. 
Wow. And so D-Day started and the troops that were injured down to, on the beach, on Normandy Beach there, there's Omaha Beach and Utah Beach. And they started bringing the wounded back to us around D-Day. Mm. And, uh, and then as soon as, as soon as the military got up on, up on the shore, uh, about three weeks later, then we went across uh, on the same kind of barges, landed out there about, oh, 200 yards from the shore, dropped your off in the water. You've seen those, you've seen those landing crafts. Sure. Mm -hmm. Ran up and got up on the bank and, and, uh, and then the very next day when we all got, were able to get together, we were all scattered all over us. But the next day we all got together and uh, we joined up with Patton. Patton had arrived mm. and we were signed to his third army. Wow. And so we set up our hospital tents. We had, we, we could take care of 400 patients. Mm. And so, uh, so anyway, and of course, again, you have everything. There was no electricity. There was no not no water, no nothing. We just set up our tents in the pasture, and all that go with it. Sleeping, uh, us GIs, we slept in pup tents. We were in pup tents for ten months, and we didn't have mattresses, or, uh, or rubber mattresses, or sleeping bags. We just had a blanket, wow. and just slept on the ground. But anyway, God worked it out. We. We got through there, we got across France and Belgium, and then we had the bulge, which was a terrible, terrible thing. And the bulge, and then uh, got through that, and then into Germany, and then uh, on May the 8th, European, Europe was, was finished. I mean, Hitler was dead, and, and the war was over in Europe. But uh, military operated on on point system. You know, they're drafting so many people, you didn't get any rank or anything else, you just were a GI. And so we didn't have enough points, so we had to go to Pilsen. We went to Pilsen. Actually, actually, General Patton had part of that as well. But anyway, we went to Pilsen, Czechoslovakia, and we were there for three or four months. And then we started to start back to get ready to come home. So first of all, from Pilsen back into uh, Germany and uh, camp there. And then that, those guys, of course, the ones that had more points, you know, ones that have been in service longer, they... Uh, they were getting to the coast and getting back to the States. So we were there for, uh, I don't know, maybe two or three weeks. And then we went to uh, France, not too far from uh, Reims. And we were there for a while. And then we, we got, got uh, set down to the coast, to Marseille. And uh, got on a ship and spent Christmas on the ocean and landed in New York on New Year's Day, 1946. Well, I so, want to say I want to say thank you so much for your service to our country and obviously to our world and liberating us from tyranny. And uh, you know, again, I just scratch my head sometimes to think of where we are as a country today in comparison to where we came from. But yeah. um, again, it couldn't have happened. We we couldn't be here today where we are without men like you who, you know, so nobly served their country. So so thank you so very much, Doctor Boonster. Sure appreciate that. Thank you for your comment. Yeah. And uh, it was a time when everybody worked together, you know, sure. the military sure. guys worked together, but also all of the civilians, you know, that uh, sacrificed whatever sacrifice had to be made, mm -hmm. gas, sugar, butter, meat, whatever else, no matter, because sure. all went to the services. Yes, yeah. it was, uh, it was a time, but the United States was united together. We are this together. Right. And, 
which uh, if we had war today like that, I don't know what would happen. But Well, it, it is so sad to see our country so fragmented. Well, let me uh, just real quick, let's uh, jump into, uh, if we can take maybe the next uh, three, three or four minutes, and maybe we'll come back and visit it in our next segment next week. But let's talk a little bit about uh, your salvation, and when, did, when and where did that take place, Brother Boonstra? Okay, so as mentioned to you, we left a farm because of my father's health. We came to uh, Denver, and then out to the country, and then uh, my the father's health, amazing, that dry climate and dry air, uh, his lungs filled, just cleared up, and he got some strength back. Never like, never like uh, normal, but he was he was able to uh, function. But anyway, uh, but he couldn't farm anymore. But there was a little country store, and somehow my dad got acquainted with that man, and the man wanted to uh, retire, and uh, or at least he wanted to sell the business, and maybe in a year or two his son would take it over. So my dad said, okay, so he bit the bullet as you were, had no choice. We didn't have welfare, we didn't have any stimulus money to come in. My folks were still living on uh, what they got, sale of the cattle and stuff on the farm, and very, very frugal, of course, and still are, I am too. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway uh, got in that little store, and I started learning how to uh, deal with people because you have to realize that out there on the farm, I was a total isolationist, had no social graces whatsoever. And yet coming into that grocery store, I started to wait on the customers, you know, when they would come, just a little store and, uh, and the meat market. And, um, and so we had these meat jobbers that come and, and they, would, they would show me how to cut meat to show my dad. My dad knew me, but he showed me and so I began learning how to be a meat cutter. Well, so, but here's, here's the miracle of God. Uh, there was a lady that lived down the road from the little store, Hart's Corner. Her name was Robinson. And she and her husband were new converts at the Inglewood Baptist Tabernacle. Of course, that was in the days when Harvey Springer was, was evangelizing and he was, a, he was something else. We might tell you more later, but... Anyway, uh, this lady said to my father one day, uh, would it be okay for to ask Carl to come to Science School Church? And my dad said, that's fine, that's fine. We, when we went, which was very seldom, that store was open six and a half days. And so only time they had free was Sunday afternoon. So consequently, the Dutch church in the Dutch community of South Denver, we were very seldom ever went. And so my dad said, yeah, that'd be fine. Well, so that's where, so by her invitation, I was invited to come down to visit the Inglewood Baptist Tabernacle. And uh, I, was still, I still remember that first day I went there, there again. You know, I had, uh, I just, just a dumb, 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 dumb kid. But uh, just almost 16 years old. And so I went there, went to the class. And the amazing thing is that when the Sunday school was over, I didn't know what to do, but two guys, they said, hey, come with us. One of them was Clifford Clark and the other one was Al Wells. <laughs> they said, come sit with us. I did, I went and sat down with little boys. Hmm. Pretty soon while we're sitting there, the first service, this is a tabernacle, had concrete floors, open beams on the top and board benches. I mean, if you slid across the bench, you might get a sliver, but anyway, <laughs> or they were teeter-totter, anyway. And they're quite different from the Dutch church building, you know, but anyway. Mm -hmm. And 
pretty soon Al was, I was sitting in the middle. Al says to me, he said, Carl, and he looked over the aisle over the aisle over on the right side. They had a section, a center section, and then a third section with aisle in between. Anyway, he said, Go walking down the aisle, here comes this guy, big steps, big tall guy carrying a 10-gallon hat in his hand, and wearing cowboy boots. And uh, Al Wells said, that's our preacher, that's our pastor, Harvey Springer. And I, I, you know, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. <laughs> he stopped up on the platform, and as soon as the song service was over with, which was live, it was live. Song leader go, come on, open up and let her rip, you know, that's saying. That was different, too. So anyhow, pretty soon he got and preached. I never heard anything like it in my life. And so anyway, those guys asked me to come back that night, and the Robinsons were willing to take me back, and they went, and I went with them. I did that for about, I think, two to three weeks, every service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Mm. And uh, and by this time, I, my parents were beginning to wonder what's going on. Mm. But they didn't question it, because, but anyway, uh, then at uh, one of the services, after the, I think the third Sunday, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm not mistaken, it's pretty, I'm pretty accurate about that. Okay. Uh, the service is being, the invitation is being given, and here's something that happened to have never seen it happen before or since. Well, not, not, not before, never seen it since, and I've never dared to try it. The preacher was Sam Morris on that particular day. You ever heard of Sam Morris? Uh, the, no, sir, I, I'm not familiar with that name. Well, Anyway, he was way back in those days, and he was he was the founder of the Prudential Insurance, not Prudential, uh, Preferred Risk Insurance Company, wow. which was non-alcoholic, non-drinking, mm -hmm. but uh, he was also a Baptist preacher. So he was preaching on uh, what he was preaching. And so when he started the invitation, he said, everybody stand up. He said, if you're saved, turn around, look toward the back. Well, we're sitting on the third row, and everybody turned around, including Al and Clifford had stood up. I'm standing there. I started to turn around, but uh, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So I just stood up there just, and so there a few people that weren't saved that, that had enough courage to stand and look at, because Sam Moore said, just look at me. All you that are standing, look, look at this way, look at me. And then he gave us another shout on the salvation. And then Al or Clifford, they both said they did it, but they probably did. They said, don't you think it's time for you to get saved? Yeah, it's time. So I went forward, and Deacon took us over to the side room, and there I accepted Christ as my Savior. Oh, that, that was in uh, toward the end of May, or right at right at the end of May, uh, which would have been right at my 16th birthday. So, wow, well, that's, that's wonderful. True. Well, we're going to uh, wrap up our conversation for this segment right now, and I want to thank our listeners for joining us, and hope you'll be back for uh, the next segment as we pick this up next week. Well, I really think that uh, having an opportunity to sit down and talk to someone like Dr. Boonstra is such a, such a great blessing. I want to thank you for joining me as I've had this conversation this week with this particular segment and looking forward to the second part next week as we drop that and you get to listen in on the continuing conversation with Dr. Carl Boonstra, a man 96 years of age, serving in his country in World War II and, of course, serving as Lord for 75 years. That's such an anomaly that we have the opportunity to have this kind of conversation. And a man still has his, his faculties and his ability to communicate. It's my joy to sit down and have these kind of conversations and to be able to share them with you. Well, this is Kevin Folger, your host. I want to thank you for joining us. I hope that God gives you a great day as you serve him 
and as you go about your business for the master. Thanks for listening. We hope that you've been encouraged by today's podcast. If you've been helped, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Please feel free to leave us a comment and or a rating. If you'd like more information about Kevin Folger, please visit his website, kevinfolger.com. We invite you to join us next time with more conversations with Kevin and his guests as they tell their story of being laborers in the harvest. Mm-hmm.